Welcome to the Industry Matters podcast. With me today, I have President of OPGA, Todd Egan. Todd, thanks so much for being with us today. And tell me what we're talking about and why it's so important to the industry. Well, thank you, Mandy. And uh, we have a very special guest with us today, Brian Gustin, who is the founder uh, and CEO of Vanguard Metrics and Analytics. And Brian has developed, um, and this is the focus of our conversation today, Brian has developed a very new, novel, and unique lower limb prosthetic outcomes management program. Uh, And that, like I said, is going to be the focus of our conversation today. Brian, welcome. Thank you for being here and and being with us today. I think I'd like to start off by, if you could, just tell our listeners a little bit about yourself and your experience in the ONG profession. Well, thank you, Todd and, and Mandy and OPGA for putting this uh, together. This is certainly a, uh, a very topical topic in O&P today. I worked for a number of years trying to to validate why we do what we we do and uh, my, my background in O&P is pretty extensive, actually. I essentially grew up in the business. Uh, my father and my uncle were both CPs, and my father uh, was a transfemoral amputee since childhood. So I grew up seeing both the care side of O&P as well as the life side of, of living with limb loss, having grown up with a person uh, with, with limb loss. I, I wound up buying their practice in 1988. Uh, which was a single uh, site in, in in Green Bay, Wisconsin, and grew this to five locations in, in northeastern Wisconsin, excuse me, and then started another practice with a partner in Minneapolis, and we ran both of those practices uh, simultaneously. Uh, and during that time, I was very active with AOPA, spending uh, 20 years uh, serving on the coding committee and 10 years on the on the board and became president of AOPA in 2009. Uh, as a result of that experience, I gained a lot of knowledge about policy making and the regulatory process. And then in 2006, I decided to sell both practices and have been functioning in and around O&P in a consulting role uh, ever since. So that's the long and the short of uh, uh, almost 40 years in the business. Well, no question, you, you had great success. Uh, I know you, and I know you're not that old. You were pretty young when you sold the practices. Was Can you tell our listeners the reason for that? Well, I, you know, I, I became frustrated with the ever-increasing administrative burdens being placed on O&P and the lack of respect that we had from members of the healthcare team as, as well as from policymakers, uh, primarily from the CMS and insurance companies, from within the industry by those who competed solely on price. I figured there had to be a better way to validate how we did what we did. And I thought if I could work with other O&P companies to show them how to compete on value, it could make a difference. I learned a lot by working with insurance companies over the, over the years and understood their point of view. So if I could work with medical directors at various insurance companies to help craft better policy language, I felt I could make a difference. 
And moving into the second half of my career, if, if you will, I wanted to move out of patient care and uh, have, a, have a bit broader view of, of O&P and the work that I could do and how I could help the overall profession. So I guess that leads me to ask, how's it going? What I mean, what has happened since you made that decision? Well, in effect, I discovered O&P has made a lot of decisions based on what we think, what we feel, what we believe, and what we guess. All very subjective and emotional responses, and very little of the decisions we've ever made as a, as a profession have been based on what we know, which is objective. Payers and policymakers have to make coverage decisions based on objective findings. So when you read a payer's coverage policy, for example, on lower limb prosthetics, you will see they've done their homework. They will list a bibliography of all the published literature they have reviewed. They will note just how inconclusive this work is. And this has been emphasized when the uh, most important payer, the CMS, published its consensus report on lower limb prosthetics in September of 2017, which was followed up by the AHRQ report on the effectiveness of individual components and long-term outcomes of lower limb prosthetics. Essentially, those two reports have nullified all of the peer-reviewed published literature uh, relative to evidence on lower limb prosthetics that we have. We have to start over. That's interesting. Can you can you maybe go a little deeper into the weeds and, and explain to myself and our listeners what exactly these reports said? Sure. The, the CMS report is, is fairly concise, whereas the AHRQ report is rather lengthy. Uh, but if you read these, the CMS report concluded uh, its report by stating, and I quote, in general, this information does not adequately provide the evidence necessary to inform Medicare policy in the provision of the most appropriate prosthesis to its beneficiaries. That's a big bold statement. So if you read the report, you will see that they made many recommendations, including requiring prior authorizations and trial usage for many services. They've also questioned the need for custom items, given the plethora of non-custom sizes, as well as the many purported benefit, benefits of uh, certain component categories. One of the biggest statements coming out of this report was, and again I will quote, they said, research to date has failed to connect a patient's medical condition, for example, their strength, their range of motion, their balance, etc., and their functional abilities or outcome measure results to his or her K level. I have to concur, unfortunately. Over the years when I have worked with individual OMP providers, our documentation is not that great. And we talked about uh, documentation a lot and how ours should be considered part of the medical record. But when I look at most of the OMP documentation, it is severely lacking in medical detail. We do a great job of documenting what we do and not such a great job of documenting why we did it. The CMS has stated, and again I'll quote, physiologic change should encompass the patient's global status as it affects his or her mobility, unquote. Well, given this statement, what we need to do now is understand the 
primary role of the O&P clinician has radically shifted from what we have traditionally known. We can no longer be device makers when our customers, those who, who write checks to us, who pay us, the payers, when they want us to be care managers, they want right. us to tell them why we need to do what we are proposing to do. And our role is to effectively evaluate patients for the appropriate assistive technology and that clearly document this relative to policy parameters. If we cannot do this, then patients go unserved or are underserved or are overserved and all of this is called bad care. Those who get the statement the panel made of physiologic change will be the winners going forward. They will gain approvals faster than colleagues down the street, and eventually they will gain their colleagues' patients because they've understood how to crack the code of the payer policy to give the payer what they are asking for. So these two reports led you to create the lower limb mobility management program, or the L2M2P. Can you please explain what this program is? Yes, uh, those those two reports certainly did. While these reports were very critical, and I don't necessarily agree with everything in, in those reports, but they're coming from our customer, the people that pay us. So while we may not agree with everything in those reports, they were also very instructive. They essentially gave us the playbook going forward. The problem was uh, implementing their recommendations was complicated and difficult for an individual practice. But like anything complicated, you got to break it down into digestible steps. And the first step was to understand our current prescriptive patterns and their effect on the patient. So I created a mechanism for prosthetists to record some basic demographic information about their patient, the type of device they provided to them. Then I took one of the CMS's recommended long-term patient self-report instruments called the Orthotic Prosthetic User Survey, or OPUS, and digitized mm -hmm. it so it could be administered and scored electronically. This survey is then sent to patients at defined intervals over a 12-month period of time. This instrument objectively measures the patient's actual function, not their potential function, their actual function, and, and what is referred to as their HRQOL, or their health-related quality of life. This is the psychosocial aspect of a person with a disability, which tells us how the patient feels about themselves, given their condition, and the care they have been provided. We are then able to combine the prosthetist information with the patient's information and build a 12-month chart on the patient given the care they were provided by the prosthetist. Why is this so important? Well, in order to know where we need to go, we first need to understand where we are. Uh, again, going back to the two reports, they've said the evidence that they reviewed is, is severely lacking to, to make generalized coverage decisions around. So, first of all, let's understand how we do what we do right now and what the effect of that is. So we'd be well advised to not repeat the mistakes of the past by making decisions based on what we think, what we feel, what we believe, and what we guess. We have to know. So we must first come up with a program which, we, which has been designed with a purpose. 
Then we create processes around this design, which are coordinated processes. And these coordinated processes now become, guess what, our standards of how we do what we do, for who do we do it, when do we do it, and does it even need to be done? And from that, we can measure our results. And from these results, we then analyze it. We look at the results, and we look at it with dispassionate eyes, and we learn. And from what we have learned, we then go back and ask ourselves some questions. Do we like the results? Do we not like the results? In either case, because we always want to get better, we iterate our processes for continuous improvement. We continually alter our standards and remeasure our results based on what we've learned. Then understanding what we do for whom and when, and the result is the first step in becoming accepted as a member of the healthcare team. We can actually objectively prove that what we do matters. And we can show them the steps that we took to get there. So then at the end of the day, how will participation in this program benefit an individual OMP practice? Like anything, this will take some time for people to build a registry large enough to get meaningful results. But after a practice accumulates a registry of patients, the clinical team can review the functional and quality of life scores over time and begin to ask questions relative to those scores. That's the analyzing of the results piece and then looking at their processes and saying, how do we change these to make them better? They can begin to make those decisions based on objective facts coming from their patients. It's important to point out that these are coming from their patients, not coming from from tests that practitioners are, are doing themselves, this is the patient report card coming back to the, to the patient clinics, or to the prosthetist clinics. They can use this to help promote their practice as a patient-centered practice, as a way to differentiate themselves from those who are price-orientated. And they can try to drive a different narrative in contracting negotiations based on value. If a payer comes to you with a contract with a with a certain amount of discount to Medicare. If you don't have a better program to come back to them with, you're left with either accepting it as is or rejecting it. But if you've got an option to come back to them and say, let me show you a value orientation, I think they would listen to you. Well, that certainly makes sense. So I know there are other quote-unquote outcome programs in O&P. How is the L2-M2P program different from others? You, you simply cannot say you're good because you're certified or have a certain level of education or that you might be licensed. You have to be able to prove it objectively. And what does good mean? Does good mean you say you are good or does good mean your patients say you are good? The results have to be meaningful to those who create policy and control reimbursement. Other programs, quite frankly, are designed to sell products in certain K-level categories. This is the we are good because because we say we are good type of, of scenarios. And by this I mean we use diagnostic functional assessment tests, such as a tug test or a, a four-square step test or a six-minute walk test or the AMP test or a plethora of other types of diagnostic functional assessments to determine a K-level. And don't misunderstand, we need to be 
determine K levels, but they they provide uh, a, a a potential functional level, not actual. Mm -hmm. Right. So we make those determinations of what we think the K level will be of that patient. Then we provide the device in this category. Then at some undefined point in time, usually determined by the prosthetist, we re-administer the same diagnostic tests. Well, again, as I said, these tests are necessary, but they're only predictive of potential function, not actual. And academia calls this testing against the test and warns against its methodology. Remember, the CMS wants to see linkage between the potential and actual function. And the results have to be meaningful, meaning we have to remove bias as a factor confounding our results. Having a patient validate your diagnostic assessments through their function, their actual function, and their quality of life scores are meaningful and without bias. It's the patient answering these, not the, cl not the clinician doing a test over again or administering a test to a patient and maybe guiding that patient in how they want to how they want them to respond. That's the that's the bias part. So what do you see as the next steps for the L2 M2P program and how it can benefit the OP profession in general? Yeah, so prosthetists on average, if you look at at, at how many devices are provided uh, overall in a year and divide that by the number of uh, practicing prosthetists on average, we deliver about 75 devices per year. So it will take some time for an average clinic of one or two prosthetists to generate statistically significant numbers. However, by combining all participants' data together, we are able to achieve a, a statistically significant sample size rather quickly. We can use this combined data set to help change coverage policies with all payers, beginning with the most important one, the CMS. We can also help to identify providers who are value-oriented as payers create narrow networks of preferred providers. The narrow network concept is growing, and we have to figure out how do we as an OMP provider you know, shoehorn ourselves into those narrow networks as being a value-oriented preferred provider. We can also help our educators restructure their curricula to be more focused on those activities which relate to a positive patient outcome to help them justify the need for master's programs. We can also use the results to help promote our licensure efforts. Why should we, why should we be licensed and considered part of a healthcare uh, team you know, we have to be able to have that objective data that says, here's why. Gotcha. Well, Brian, it certainly sounds like uh, you have created a program that is going to greatly advance the O&P profession. It uh, appears it truly is measuring outcomes that are important to the two most important people uh, in our profession, and that is our patients and the people who pay for their care. So I want to thank you sincerely for creating this program and, and explaining the program to our audience today. If someone is 
interested in participating or would like to get more information, how can they contact you? Thank you again, Todd, uh, to you and, and Mandy and OPGA uh, for putting this together today. If, if people are interested in participating or would like to get some more information on this program, I can be contacted through my website at uh, www.vanguardmetrics.biz um, or they can reach me uh, at my office at 920-544-5045 or they can email me at blg.gustin, G-U-S-T-I-N, at gmail.com. Excellent. And I will also add uh, to the audience, um, if you uh, were unable to get the contact information that Brian just shared, you're more than welcome to contact OPGA, and we will connect you immediately with Brian as well. So, Brian, thanks again. It sounds like a fantastic program that is going to have a, a extremely positive impact on 